the Heidelberg Catechism, we read together Lord's Day 18, which deals with the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven. What do you confess when you say he ascended into heaven? That Christ, before the eyes of his disciples, was taken up from the earth into heaven, that he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world, as he has promised us? Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he's no longer on earth. But with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. But are the two natures in Christ not separated from each other? If his human nature is not present wherever his divinity is, not at all. For his divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. So it must follow that his divinity is indeed beyond the human nature which he has taken on, and nevertheless is within this human nature and remains personally united with it. How does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father. Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, he sends his spirit as a counter-pledge. By his power, we seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and not the things that are on earth. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, saying goodbye is often hard. It's not hard when you're saying farewell to someone you'll see again at the end of the day, or in a week or a month's time. But at times, you, we need to say goodbye to those we won't see again for a long time. Many of you are aware of the fact that our family lived in Australia for little more than 11 years. For us, saying goodbye to family was hard but it was offset by the excitement of going to a new place. We've learned that it was much harder for those who were left behind, especially for our parents, who would not get to see us or their grandchildren for long stretches at a time. For them, there was nothing to look forward to. We left a hole in their lives and a bigger hole in their hearts. The Lord Jesus walked this earth for some 33 years. And then he left us. He went up into the sky. A cloud covered him, and he was gone. Before he went, he told his disciples that he was going to heaven, to his father's house. They knew that heaven was God's dwelling place. They understood that Jesus was God's son, that he was returning home. But that didn't make the farewell any easier. Jesus' followers had walked and talked with the Lord Jesus for some three years. They had formed a deep bond with him. Jesus called them his friends. It was upsetting for them to hear that he was going to leave them. At first they didn't understand why he had to go. John's gospel tells us about how Jesus prepared the disciples for his departure. In John 13, verse 33, he said to them, 
little children, yet a little while, and I'm with you. You'll seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. And at the beginning of John 14, Jesus told his followers, let not your hearts be troubled. He explained he was going to his father's house to prepare a place for them, that he would come again to take them to himself. Later in this chapter, Jesus comforts them with the news that he would not leave them alone. He would send them a helper to be with them forever. In John 16, Jesus said, It is for your advantage that I go away. Jesus did not leave his disciples to go to heaven because he wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. He didn't go up into heaven for his own sake so that he could be glorified. He went up into heaven for our benefits. That's what we're going to focus on this afternoon. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Christ ascended into heaven for our benefit. We'll see that heaven is where our intercessor is, that heaven is being prepared as our home, and that heaven is where our focus must be. Our catechism begins by affirming the fact of Christ's ascension into heaven. It asks, what do you confess when you say he ascended into heaven? The answer is that Christ, before the eyes of his disciples, was taken up from earth into heaven. Here, our catechism confesses what the Bible teaches. Acts 1 tells us that as the disciples were looking on, Jesus was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken out from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. We know the Lord Jesus went up into heaven because we have the testimony of the disciples who saw him go up. After his resurrection from the dead, Jesus had appeared to his disciples many times. They saw him and talked with him and shared food with him. They listened to Jesus' explanation of why it was necessary for him to suffer and die and be raised on the third day. They finally understood the gospel, that Jesus had come to save them from their sins and to grant them eternal life. Jesus explained to them why it was necessary for him to leave them. They witnessed his bodily ascension into heaven. Our catechism continues with question and answers 47 and 48, asking about this point. Did Christ bodily ascend into heaven? And if so, what about his promise to be with us always? These questions find their origin in a dispute between the followers of Martin Luther and John Calvin. Though these reformers tried hard to be united, there was one main issue that separated them. It's the question of how Christ is present with us today. Lutherans believe that Christ is bodily present everywhere at the same time. They quote Christ's promise in Matthew 28, verse 20, he said, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
They say that, Christ, that since Christ promised this, he must still be with us today. Connected to this is the Lutheran's understanding of how Christ is present in the Lord's Supper. They say that Christ's body and blood must be present in, with, and under the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. And thus, while we as Reformed believers say that Christ is present with us spiritually, Lutherans say he is present everywhere, both spiritually and physically. With the Lutherans, we agree that Christ's body has changed with his resurrection. When Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, he had a human body just like ours. It was corruptible and mortal. During his time on earth, it was possible for Jesus not just to be tempted, but even to fall into sin. It was also possible for him to die. In fact, he did so on the cross. But Jesus was raised with a glorified body. Now, in his human nature, he is eternal, incorruptible, and immortal. Jesus, as a human being, will live forevermore. He is no longer subject to sin or death. And beloved, at the resurrection, we also will share in glorified bodies. We too will live forevermore without the possibility of falling into sin or dying anymore. Yet we disagree with the Lutherans that anything changed with respect to Christ's body when he went up into heaven. We disagree with the idea that his body became omnipresent. One of the characteristics of of being human is that you can only be in one place at one time. Physically speaking, Christ went up into heaven. He is now at the right hand of God. As question answer 47 says, Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth. But with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. Bodily speaking, Christ is no longer with us on earth. The Bible makes it clear that while Christ promised to be with us always, as a man, he left us. In Matthew 26, verse 11, Jesus said, For you always have the poor with you but you will not always have me. In John 16, 28, Jesus said, I came from the Father, and I've come into the world. And now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Luke 24, 51 says that while Jesus blessed his disciples, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Question answer 49 asks an interesting follow-up question. It concerns the two natures of Christ, his human and divine natures. It asks, but are the two natures of Christ not separated from each other? If his human nature is not present, where his divinity is? This question and answer is probably the most difficult one in the catechism for my students to learn. And the reason is that they don't understand what's being taught here. We've been taught that when Jesus became man, he remained true and eternal God. So don't the two natures remain united 
even in his ascension? Yes, they do. Bodily, Jesus is now in heaven, and his divine nature remains personally united with his human nature. But Christ's two natures have different properties. While his human nature, his body, can only be present in one place at a time, his divine nature is not limited in that way. We confess that God is omnipresent. He's present everywhere. And so with respect to his divine nature, Jesus is present everywhere. His divine nature is present in heaven, where Jesus is bodily present on the throne at God's right hand. But in his divine nature, Jesus is also present on earth. So why is all this important? Isn't this just theological trivia? What difference does it make how Christ is present in heaven and on earth? While Jesus is true and eternal God, we we need to remember he's also a real human being. The two natures of Christ are inseparable, but they're also distinct. We should not understand Jesus' divinity in such a way that destroys his humanity. When Jesus went up into heaven, he went up as a human being. The central point here is this. We have our flesh in heaven. I want you to stop and think about that for a moment, beloved. Prior to Jesus' ascension into heaven, no human being has ever lived in heaven before. Yes, it's true that when we die, our souls go up to be with the Lord in heaven. But we have to leave our bodies behind. Normally, they're buried in the ground. That's different with the Lord Jesus. He was raised from the dead. He received a glorified body. It's in his own glorified body that Jesus went up into heaven. John tells us a story about Thomas, who doubted the resurrection. Jesus showed him the wounds in his hands and in his side. His glorified body bore the marks of his crucifixion. John writes in Revelation 5, verse 6, about seeing the Lamb as one slain. The point is that Jesus took his flesh, his very own body, with him into heaven. There's three ways in which Christ's ascension into heaven benefits us. The first is that he is our advocate in heaven before his Father. An advocate is someone who represents you, who takes your side and pleads on your behalf. Lawyers are sometimes called advocates. They represent you in court, arguing on your behalf. Well, that's one of the reasons why Jesus went up into heaven. He went to represent us, to plead our cause. Why do we need an advocate in heaven? Well, the answer is simple. We are sinful people, and our God is a holy God. We need someone to mediate between God and us. We need someone to intercede on our behalf. 
If we approached God on the basis of our own merits, we'd be rejected. The Belgian Confession explains this beautifully in Article 26. It says that we have no access to God except through the only mediator and advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. For this purpose he became man, uniting together the divine and the human nature, that we might not be barred from, but have access to the divine majesty. Our reading from John four, in our reading from John 14, Jesus makes clear how he is our mediator and our advocate. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When we pray, beloved, most often we end our prayers with the words, all this we pray in Jesus' name or for Christ's sake. With these words, we follow Jesus' teaching in John 14, 14, where he promised, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We acknowledge that in ourselves, we're not worthy to approach God's throne of grace. The only reason we are confident in praying is because Jesus promised to intercede for us. He's promised the Father will hear and will answer our prayers for his sake. Jesus Christ is our head. He is our representative in heaven. He mediates for us whenever we pray. And the results are awesome. For by his blood, Jesus guarantees that our sins are forgiven, that we are righteous and holy in God's sight. The Father has living proof right beside him of how Jesus was willing to suffer and die to pay for our sins. Christ has taken away God's hostility against all our sins. Instead of being at enmity with God, our Savior has restored us to fellowship with him. See, beloved, when God looks at us, he doesn't see a bunch of miserable sinners. He sees his dearly loved children, redeemed by Christ's blood, made into a new creation through him. Beloved, the fact that we have our very own flesh in heaven gives us encouragement to pray. We can come to God in prayer at any time, no matter what our circumstances may be. If we've just fallen into serious sin, we have a humble and contrite heart, we can plead for forgiveness, and God will wash away all our sins. If we're struggling, burdened, or broken, we may lay all our hurts and fears and sorrows before God's throne of grace. Jesus was a man who lived on this earth. He sympathizes with us in the midst of all our struggles. He will lay our needs before the Father, and God will hear and answer us. He will lighten the burden. He will supply the strength. He will carry us in his arms. He will love us as a father loves his children, because in Christ, we belong to him. It brings us to our second point. You know, we'll see that heaven is being prepared as our home. In a reading in John 14, the Lord Jesus explained to his disciples why he was leaving them. 
It was not that he delighted in separation from them. But Jesus' task on earth was done. And there was work in heaven that needed doing. Jesus' ascension was not intended to drive us apart. It was intended to ensure that we could be together for all eternity. In John 14, verse 2, Jesus said to his disciples, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus describes heaven as my Father's house. When Jesus promises us a place in his Father's house, he is promising to take us home. What does home represent to you? Home is a place of love and safety. It's a place where we accepted for who we are, in spite of our weaknesses and shortcomings. Home is where we gather with loved ones, fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, children and grandchildren. It's a place where we may retreat when faced with struggles or when we find life hard to cope with. The idea that heaven is our home is such a comforting one. In recent months, I've had an opportunity to speak with seniors near the end of their life. It's so beautiful to hear them talk about going home to be with the Lord. We may look forward to a wonderful inheritance. The writer of Hebrews tells us that by faith Abraham went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder was God. The patriarchs desired a homeland, a better country, that is, a heavenly one. In Philippians 3, Paul tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The point, beloved, is that this earth, under God's curse because of our sin, is not our eternal home. We may look forward to life with God on new heavens and a new earth. I want to stress, beloved, that heaven will not be the place where we live with God forevermore. God created this world as a dwelling place for mankind. Yet with the fall into sin, this world came under God's curse. In Romans 8, the apostle speaks about how the whole creation has been groaning in travail, like a woman in childbirth. Paul speaks about how creation will be set free from bondage to decay. Peter explains how the earth will be purged as through fire. In Revelation 21, John shares a vision about how when Christ returns, God's dwelling place will be with us on new heavens and a new earth. And for most people who live on earth, there will be a time between when they die and when Christ returns on the clouds of heaven. Our comfort is that the separation between God and us, caused by our sin, 
will not have to wait until the final day of judgment to be resolved. We believe that when we die, the Lord Jesus will take our soul to heaven to be with him. The Bible teaches this clearly. In the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus taught that those who trust in the Lord will be carried by God's angels into heavenly glory, where they'll be allowed to enjoy communion with the Lord and with fellow believers. When speaking to the repentant criminal on the cross, Jesus Jesus made this promise. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. When Jesus himself was dying, he committed his spirits into the hands of his heavenly Father. And so, as God's children, we have the rich assurance of going to be with God in heaven immediately after we die. The Bible does not reveal too much to us about heaven. Most of the time when it speaks about heaven, it uses images. For the glory of heaven is too majestic to be conveyed in human words. Yet what the Bible makes clear is that heaven is God's dwelling place. That after his death and resurrection, Jesus went up into heaven. The thing that makes heaven glorious is that God our Father and Jesus our Savior are there. When we die, we get to go home to be with our loving Savior. It's his presence that makes heaven heavenly. Brings us to our final point, and we'll see that heaven is where our focus must be. Beloved, a glorious inheritance awaits us. When we die, we have the rich comfort that the Lord will take us home. He will take us to heaven to be with him in joy and glory. We also have God's promises about the life everlasting. Just as Jesus went up into heaven on the clouds, so he will return in the same way. On the final day of his return, we may look forward to living with him eternally on new heavens and a new earth. Colossians 3, Paul writes to us about the blessings of sharing in Christ. He writes, if, you, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. What does Paul mean when he calls us to seek the things that are above? Does this mean that we should stop living in the here and now and just focus on heaven? Sometimes when people are going through really hard times, or when they're facing difficult mental health struggles, they focus on heaven. They pray intensely for the Lord Jesus to come back. The struggles of life have overcome them. They see only one way out. Life with God eternally. It's understandable that at times we end up in circumstances like that. We live in a sinful and broken world. At times life can be really difficult. It can become unbearable. But beloved, I want to remind you We were created for life. God put us in this world. He gave us a task to do. We have God-given responsibilities to fulfill here on this earth. 
God assigns each of us our daily work, whether that be going to, going to work or school, caring for children, volunteering or otherwise. We're all part of our family. We have responsibilities as parents or family members. We're part of a church community. We have a call in to use our gifts and talents in the communion of saints. We're Christians. We've been charged to profess Christ's name, to present ourselves as living sacrifices of thankfulness to God, and to fight against sin and the devil. We're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. While we are present on this earth, God has a task for us to fulfill. When Paul teaches us to seek the things that are above, he's reminding us that life is about more than the here and now. He writes, set your, thing, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Beloved by nature, we're all inclined to major in the minors. We tend to focus on the here and now, on fulfilling our own desires, on doing what we want to do. When we're young, there may be a temptation to experiment with alcohol or drugs or sex. God created us to enjoy pleasure, and so we may fall into a lifestyle that indulges the sinful flesh. As we get older, we may focus on building our earthly kingdoms, on working hard so we can enjoy a nice home and a comfortable retirement. God calls us to live our daily lives with a heavenly perspective. Are the things that you are busy with things that draw you away from the Lord, or are they things that bring you closer to Him? Are you using your time and energy, your talents and money, just for yourself? Or are you using them in the service of Christ and His kingdom? Where is your heart, beloved? What is it that you truly treasure in life? Is Christ your focus or not? These are hard questions. They're hard because we know that we're still flesh and blood people living in the midst of a sin-stained world. Our hearts are often bowed down. They're focused on the problems of this life. And that's exactly why Christ has not left us alone. In John 14, Jesus not only told the disciples he was leaving them, he also gave them a rich promise. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Even though Christ left us when he went up into heaven, he did not leave us alone. He, spent, he sent his spirit to abide with us forever. Please know, beloved, that the spirit is called our helper. The Greek uses the word paraclete. It's also been translated as comforter or counselor. It's through the spirit that he helps us to understand and believe the gospel. The Spirit helps us to apply God's word to our lives. 
so we can actually live God-pleasing lives. It's through the Spirit that Christ assures us that all God's promises will be fulfilled in Him. Catechism speaks of the Spirit being a pledge or a guarantee. His presence assures us of Christ's love and care. It's by the Spirit that Christ directs our hearts heavenward, that we may share in Him and all His blessings. Love to begin the sermon by speaking about farewells. It is never easy to say goodbye, especially not when loved ones are leaving for a long time, or when we need to say our final goodbyes because a loved one will soon die. Separation brings pain because an empty place is left behind. And yet, Jesus' ascension was for our benefit. He's now our intercessor, pleading for us before the throne of grace. He's in heaven preparing a place for us. And one day soon, he will come again on the clouds of heaven. At the trumpet sound, our bodies will be raised and made like Christ's glorious body. And we too, in body and soul, will live with God and all his people on new heavens and a new earth. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing from hymn 40, stanzas 1, 3, and 5. <laughs> 